Coming up on something is about to happen. I don't know who I'm talking to. Yes, you have a promise. Yes, you have a destiny. Yes, there is a plan for your life, but you have to make a decision. You can't just hear the promise and talk about it. You have to add corresponding action to your voice. You say what he said, and then you do what he said. You've got to make a move. Faith with action is destiny. Faith with action means that you are going to be useful to God. If you hear what I'm saying this morning, I want you to reach out to three or four people by text or by telephone or by Instagram message or however you communicate with them and tell them you have got some decisions to make. I want to talk to you about how important decisions are to releasing what God has already predestined to happen in your life and make it become your reality. You do have a part to play in exercising faith with your works to bring to pass what God has already set up. I speak this morning, first of all, of a lady contralto and soprano singer her name was Marian Anderson, and most Americans remember Marian Anderson for her uh, conscience-grabbing concerts that she performed across the United States, and particularly the concert at the Lincoln Memorial on Resurrection Sunday in 1939, after she had been denied the use of the Constitution Hall, which was a prestigious arena that was owned by white racists uh, of the American Revolution who refused for a black person to use that hall or sing in that hall or even attend that hall. Their whites only policy was the reason why she was rejected from singing at the Constitution Hall on Resurrection Sunday, only because of the color of her skin. And Lady Marian Anderson was truly disappointed and struggled with making a decision when she was offered another venue. What had happened is the First Lady of the United States, the wife of uh, President Roosevelt, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, appalled by the Hall's racist action, opened up the Lincoln's Memorial for Anderson's concert on Resurrection Morning. She made an appeal to a great president um, who led uh, the nation through its greatest moral, constitutional, political crisis and through a war. He was credited with having preserved the United States Union, strengthened the federal government of the United States and modernized the United States economy. And his wife, like very much like him, believed in civil rights. And she invited uh, Lady Mary and Anderson to come and sing at the Lincoln Memorial, which is one of the biggest marble buildings in all of the United States. And in its background, she would be overseen by the statue of uh, President Abraham Lincoln as she delivered a, a, a conscience-making uh, concert to over 75,000 people on that resurrection morning. Anderson obviously was very conflicted when she was faced with a very, very significant decision. 
because not singing at Lincoln's memorial was not an option to her, but it was a watershed decision. It was a necessary and destiny-shifting decision for her career and for the notable civil rights movement, which was burgeoning in its quest to ensure equality and equity for all human beings. Anderson delivered an exceptional performance that resurrection morning that will go down in history as one of the most spectacular civil rights events ever. It was a destiny-making decision for her and for the entire movement itself. And Miss Anderson had options. Uh, and she chose that as it concerned performing at the Lincoln Memorial, it was not an option, it was a necessary decision. Many of you have the promise of destiny on your life. And therefore, you must not underestimate the power of a prophetic promise or a prophetic word in your life. You, you must have some promises that speak to your destiny, that speak about your future, that promise you a future that will be of significant usefulness to God. And when you look at the future in the yonder and you look at where you are today, you know that you must come to a watershed moment that redefines your life, that helps you to cross the Rubicon, helps you to go over the precipice from who you used to be into what you are to become. But I want to tell you that God is not going to force his promise on your life. God is not going to force your destiny on you. You've got to get up and get what God promised you because sitting still and talking about it will not get you there. Talk is cheap. The way that one of the great apostles of the first century of the church said it is that faith without works is dead. Meaning that faith without corresponding action is asleep. Faith without corresponding action to what faith prescribes is dead. For example, let's take the woman with the issue of blood. For many weeks, then eventually many months, then eventually many years, and then beyond a whole decade, now into the 13th decade or the 12th decade of her life, she is still in her menses. And she has spent all of her substance, meaning she spent all her money, but also spent her dignity. She spent her value. She spent her femininity. She has spent all that she valued chasing her deliverance from this, this unending stench in her body. And she hears somewhere in the last three years of the 12 year process that there is a healer around the region and that this healer has opened blind eyes. She probably met a few blind men who had been turned around. He's raised the dead, brought them back to life. He's taken people who were paralyzed and stricken with palsy and lame in their legs and cause them to leap and bound and find meaningfulness to their lives again. He's healed people of all kinds of diseases and she had probably met several of them and overheard that many times at his meetings and functions as many as touched him were made completely whole and delivered totally from their diseases. And she heard this morning that he was in town and that he was very much within her reach. And she woke up early in the morning probably had her bath and dressed up in her coat and, and stepped out of her front doors expecting that today something would happen. And
And as she got on the outside, she saw a clamor and a massive crowd and she knew he was somewhere on the other side of the crowd. And she started saying by faith within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made perfectly well. And she kept saying it, the Bible says. And she kept saying it, the Bible says. And every time her mind would tell her that you're not allowed to join a crowd, you're not allowed to be amidst people, you have been ostracized from your family, your kith and your kin, because of this blood that ceases to not stop. Uh, but she kept saying it within herself. And then she must have a the crowd and realize this is a long way to go if I'm going to get there without them turning me back I'm going to have to move swiftly I'm going to have to add corresponding action to what I'm saying in my heart how many of you know that if she kept on saying what she was saying she would have gone home and been dead by the end of the day but she decided to put action to her words she decided to bring her body as a partner into this coincidence of faith that not only would her mouth speak her body would make a move help me and text two or three people right now and tell them you have to make a move because you just can't keep talking about it not that talk is bad but talk is useless unless you add corresponding action to your voice and she went down on all fours we presuppose and she crawled in a hurry so that she would get under the covers and reach to him very quickly and grab the hem of his garment even if it was only for a second knowing that once I can touch him momentarily I will be made completely whole of what the doctors couldn't fix of what the oncologist couldn't fix of what the urologist couldn't fix of what the gynecologist couldn't fix of what all the people I contacted and all the folk they told me to go and see couldn't fix if I can just touch the hem of his garment and as she crawled along the way there were people and obstacles in the way uh, there were folk who made it a little difficult for her but eventually she got there because she was motivated by a promise that if I touch him his power is going to touch me that if I can get to him the glory of God is going to get to me if I can make it to his very presence the presence of his power will heal me completely and ladies and gentlemen she made a decision she didn't just talk about a decision she didn't just voice a decision she made her body and her actions correspond with that decision and because of a decision she became reabsorbed into society because of that decision she was restored to her feminine dignity because of her decision she was alive again because of her decision again she could have family and friends and be part of society I don't know who I'm talking to yes you have a promise yes you have a destiny yes there is a plan for your life but you have to make a decision you can't just hear the promise and talk about it you have to add corresponding action 
to your voice. You say what he said and then you do what he said. You've got to make a move. Otherwise my fear is that we may become a people who shout and dance about a promised land that we never go into because we never took the promise of God and mixed it with faith. We never took the prophecy that said we have a destiny and mixed it with faith because if you get faith you're also going to have action. Faith without action is not faith, it's hope. But faith with action is deliverance. Faith with action is destiny. Faith with action means that you are going to be useful to God. If you hear what I'm saying this morning, I want you to reach out to three or four people by text or by telephone or by Instagram message or however you communicate with them and tell them you have got some decisions to make. Can you feel me? Uh, say it to somebody across the hall right now. Tell them you've got some decisions to make. She had been hearing about how Jesus had healed the blind, the deaf, the lame, and, and the, the lukewarm. Uh, but she understood that I have heard by the hearing of faith uh, that God can change my situation. And I believe it. But I'm not going to leave it as merely spoken words. I'm going to give action to my words. Decisions have a definite impact on your destiny some of you today are wallowing and faltering and failing in the valley of despair uh, you're not there because of uh, the enemy you're not there because of attacks from hell you're not there because of adversaries or adversities but you are reaping the sad results of poor decisions and I want to announce to you this morning uh, that your next decisions uh, are going to determine your destiny. Yes, we've made some bad choices. Yes, we've made some poorly informed decisions. Yes, those harvests have come back to wreak havoc in our lives and in our countries. But you can undo uh, the poor harvest of bad decisions by deciding that the rest of your life will be lived making good decisions. Correcting bad decisions is a very possible thing for the believer to do. And when you get back up uh, learning how to keep on making good decisions uh, that keep you up once you get up is going to give you a life full of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost uh, talk to somebody right now and tell them you've got to make some decisions Paul of Tarsus then Saul had a huge destiny waiting for him all the props were in place but he kept going in the wrong direction and taking a pathway of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision but when God knocked him off his high horse on the road to Damascus the question he asked was Lord what will you have me do in other words I want to decide in alignment with your destiny for my life because once you start aligning with the decisions he wants you to make and you make them it's going to release a destiny you didn't know was there for you I tried to make ministry happen on a significant level where I was in a preparational season 
pastoring a church in London 28 years ago until I heard a word from God and he told me to come home to Nigeria. I didn't want to hear him. And when I got here, I started praying to go back. My decisions were to go back. But little did I know that God had gone ahead of me and set up all the props. Set you up, 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 set this up, set everything up, set her up, waiting for me to make the decision to do what he called me to do right here. And the moment I stepped into the decision, the line started falling to me in pleasant places. Things started happening for me on levels and dimensions I never knew possible. Why? All because of a decision. I promise you, I'm not telling you a lie. This is the truth from God Almighty. It's not merely a tutorial word or a pastoral teaching, nor is it just a prophetic word. It's an apostolic word from God to you. You have some real decisions to make. And if you make the right decisions, I can see it in the spirit. Your destiny is already set. It's just waiting for you to make Make the decision. Look at four or five people right now. Tell them you've got to make that move. Tell them you've got to make that move. Not much has been happening for you lately, but it's because you didn't make the move. Not much has been going on in your economy because you didn't make the move. God has so much in store for all of us, but you've got to make that move. You can't just sit there like beaver thinking that somebody else is going to do it for you or that out from an open heaven will come a silver platter with your destiny sitting on it. My friend, you have to be a co-participant in what God is saying, in what God is doing. And when you do what he expects you to do, like a trigger on a gun, it's going to release a ballistic explosion of destiny in your life. If you don't believe it, say nothing and cross your legs, sip on your tea. But if that's your word, text me a message and say, Pastor, thank you. That's a prophetic word for me. Because some of you have some important decisions to make right now. Because the moment you start making decisions on point, it will unlock destiny's next level in your life. So tell three more people, you've got to make a decision. You can't be apathetic anymore. You can't be indifferent any longer. You can't be neutral for the next four years. You can't keep saying, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You just can't do that anymore. You've got to make some real decisions quickly because time is a factor. Because if you don't move in time, you are going to miss your moment. I hear Paul of Tarsus in Romans 8, 29 and the 8 clause declare this. For whom God foreknew, he also predestinated for whom God foreknew he also predestinated so here Paul intimates us with the fact that foreknowledge is a factor in predestination it means that of whom he already foreknew the decisions that they were going to make before they made them Based on that foreknowledge, he predestinated them on this very basis of the foreknowledge of the decisions he already knew that they would make. That 
means to say that without foreknowledge, uh, there is no predestination. <laughs> uh, so because uh, God already foreknew their decisions, uh, he predestinated their destiny because he had already searched them and known them. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, I already sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want to ask you, Father God, how do you ordain something that isn't even born yet? How do you ordain something whose grandfather hasn't even been born yet? And God's answer is yes. I already know the end before the beginning. I already set some things in place so that once you make the decision I already knew you were going to make, I would have already set up all things to work together for your good. But the tragic thing is that for God to have set up everything in place for you and moved every obstacle out of the way taken out every adversary and set up everything in perfect plan so that you can move into your breakthrough to destiny uh, but you failed to make the decision that's the tragedy. You by yourself, you hindered the destiny of your life and now God has to use somebody else to finish what you could have done. And you ask, why so, Lord? Because you were too indifferent and you failed to make a decision. They gave you hints and clues to stop doing that and start doing this. Start doing this and stop doing that. But you failed to make the decision. There is an inseparable connection between decisions and your destiny the whole of humanity crashed not because Adam sinned but because Adam made a wrong decision Ooh, I feel God Adam made a bad decision and all of humanity born from his loins and his wife's womb uh, as a lineage they collapsed they failed they fell out of a program and plan and alignment with God make no mistakes about it whole industries fail because of a bad decision big companies go from up there to down nowhere because of bad decisions bad decisions in marriage bad decisions about who you married and because of religion you stick to it for five years and ten years and after it's 15 years so many lives are destroyed destiny is ruined things that have should should have been in place are out of place but I want you to know it doesn't mean that you were not gifted it doesn't mean that you are not anointed it doesn't mean that you are not called it doesn't mean that you are not chosen by God it just means that you made a bad decision and I want you to hear this carefully because it means then that the major card that the enemy is wielding against you now is to try to keep manipulating your decisions because if he can get into your decision-making system he can destroy your future if he can get into your processes of how you make decisions he can wreak havoc in your life and all the lives that you affect if he can get into your processes of how you make decisions he can keep you out of your purpose and as long as you're out of your purpose you're out of protection as long as you're out of your purpose you're out of your privilege as long as you're out of your purpose you're out of your power as long as you're out of your purpose you're out of the grace that's meant to be on you because grace is not about you it's about the purpose to which God called you and that's why 
friend, you cannot allow the enemy to inform your decisions. Some of you watching by television, you have a big company and there's a time bomb sitting in your team. And that time bomb, if you don't diffuse it now and get rid of that particular person, that time bomb is going to explode in about two or three years and ruin everything you spent two generations building because you didn't have the gumption, you didn't have the liver, you didn't have the temerity to face and confront your issues. And if you don't diffuse it now, it's going to blow up in your face later. It's not hard to tell where something is going. Just look at its trajectory. Look at its path. Look at its incorrigibility. Look at its inability to come into alignment when alignment is insisted upon. And if you don't deal with it now, with where power is going to in the next few years, there'll be too much power on everything in your house. And if there's power on your Judas, Judas might just ruin you. And Judas was not a bad guy. Judas was a good guy, but he made some bad decisions because he had a hunger and a greed for money. He was following the prophet, not the purpose, and therefore he was going to make everybody lose the purpose but for Jesus. And Jesus will always give you another chance. It's time to make some decisions. And so it brings me to my text. This whole complex of uh, uh, decisions and destiny. And we see in the text, uh, in the narrative, um, that what has happened is inflation rates have gone high. Uh, there's scarcity all in the land. Uh, the Syrians have built a circular siege, a blockade around Samaria, the capital of the ten tribes called Israel, so that all the load, uh, the goods, the stockpile, uh, the foodstuff, the furniture, all, all the imports uh, that were meant to come into Samaria were not allowed access because they had blockaded, which meant that instead of going to Samaria, those goods were stockpiling in the Syrian camp. And that meant there was depletion ongoing in Samaria, so that they were running out of milk, out of foodstuffs, out of beverages, out of everything that they needed. And things had become exorbitant in prices, that they were willing to eat dove or avian feces because they expected to find some nutrients there. Can I go a little further? That's not all. I'm coming to the mountain in a moment. Uh, the women were so hungry that for weeks they hadn't eaten that they now decided that they will kill their children for meat. Uh, and two women got together and said, okay, you kill your child today and we'll eat him and then I'll kill my child tomorrow and we'll eat him. And they killed the first child, uh, but when the second day came, the second woman said, I'm not killing my child. Uh, and there was a big fight that broke out that reached the king's ears. When and the king heard of it and saw how deplorable the conditions were for his people he lamented and threw off his garments put on sackcloth and started to throw ashes on himself and started to call upon God for God to answer and hear I want to say to those of you in our, in our country Nigeria and across Africa who've been crying out to God God sent me here to tell you I've heard the cry of my people and I am sending deliverance in your direction 
and in walks the voice of God in the voice of a man named Elisha. Elisha was the protege of Elijah. He himself had been through a shift some years prior and he was now carrying twice the anointing that was on the great Elijah on his back. And God had assured him that when he speaks his words will not fail. And he sends the word to the king of Samaria and says don't fret yourself by this time tomorrow I'm going to completely reverse the situation I'm going to move powerfully in your midst and I'm going to reverse your situation this deserves some personal application right now some of you because of COVID-19 some of you because of the lockdown and the loss of employment some of you because of the downturn in the global and the national economy some of you because of the hell hole that this season has put you in have what looks like irreversible situations but God sent me to tell you that sooner then later the power of God orchestrated by your decision is going to move so majestically that your circumstances are going to be reversed and the restoration will be better than where you were before if you believe it I want you to shout a big amen where you are and send somebody a text and tell them something is about to happen in my life and uh, there was a certain man who the king leaned upon for advice he was one of the lords of the land what we would call a cabinet minister or senior special advisor and when Elisha released the prophecy he mocked the prophetic word he laughed the prophet and his prophecy to scorn and he said even if God should open up the windows of heaven this thing cannot be and Elisha captured his words and counteracted them immediately and said you will see it but you will not eat of it gone are the days when the body of believers will hear a prophecy and see the prophecy come to pass and not be able to eat of it we will not be that generation that dances and shouts about a promised land of fulfillment and do not enter into it because we wander around 40 years without making a decision to go into what was only an 11 day journey I don't know who I'm preaching to but I'm sick and tired of shouting and dancing and getting happy on Sunday morning in a church over promises and prophecies that are being made it's about time to stop all our happy clappiness and bust a move it's time to make a move right now baby it's not time to shout and dance any longer the shouting and dancing party is over it's time to make that move look at three or four people text four or five friends and tell them make that move make that move make that move right now make that move baby it's time for you to make a move it's not the time to shout and clap you can shout and clap after you've made the move you can shout and clap after you enter the promised land you can shout and clap when it's no longer abstract that it's now concrete it is time to make that move that means stop talking about it just do it stop thinking about it just do it stop even praying about it your prayers have been overheard just do it Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says God will not do anything except he has first revealed it to his servants, the prophets. 
This means that God will not let anything happen until the prophetic voice has declared it. In the Old Testament, the prophetic voice was the prophets. In the New Testament, the prophetic voice is the Holy Spirit using anybody, but primarily the fivefold ministry gifts to resonate as a witness with your spirit and the spirit with whom all this has to do. And he released the word and the release of that word meant that he was also pulling a trigger and his trigger would release another trigger and that other trigger would release everything that had been set up so that it would come to pass. So look at 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 20. And there it says, believe the Lord your God and your prosperity will be established. Your increase will be established. It's not as it will come and it will stay. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. If I were the one to write that verse, I would write it back to front. I would write, believe his prophets and you will prosper. Believe your God and your prosperity, your increase, your productivity will be established. What is God saying here? You must cultivate in your family, in your society, in the circles in which you move, a faith in God. You must believe that he is, that he is an interest to you and that you must be an interest to him. You must believe that he is for you, not against you. You must believe that he has a plan for your life and plans of good and not of evil. You must believe that he has already set up a destiny for you. You must believe that he foreknew the decisions you would make before you made them. And based on what he already knew beforehand, he went ahead of you and set everything up. So that the moment you make the decision he knew you were going to make, everything he set up falls into place and starts machinating and mechanizing and automating to give you the destiny that he had always promised you by a prophetic word. So when a prophet speaks, don't take it lightly. When God gives you a promise, don't push it aside. The prophet or the apostle said, despise not prophecies, but prove all things. Test them according to the word and hold on to that which is truly prophetic, which is in consonance with God's word, the holy scriptures. And if you do, you will see God move in your life. I don't know who you are, but I can feel you are in this room as you make a move you're going to trigger a move of God not only in your life but in this whole planet hear me what I'm saying to you now something is about to happen in your life here is the prophetic word the thing that amazes me is the facilitators of that word did not hear the word they are ostracized men they are four lepers outside the city gate. They've been living there and sitting there begging for arms and handouts for much of their time. But they've noticed over the passing of weeks, maybe even months, that the handouts were dwindling. So there were no more handouts anymore. So they were becoming frustrated. They could smell rats. And the more the days progressed, there were less and less handouts, so there were no handouts at all. But the problem was that they were lepers. And this is a terrible disease called Hansen's disease, where it afflicts the central nervous system and causes the, the nerve sensors at the ends or the extremities of the being to be insensitive. So that the result is they keep bashing their hands and bashing their toes and they end up losing things and things fall out and things fall off. And their skin becomes pale. Where they had pigmentation, they lose pigmentation. And you see stumps where fingers were before. You see stumps where toes were before. In fact, some of them 
them go gangrenous and lose different parts of their body and eventually die. It was the contemporary version of Ebola. It was the contemporary version of what HIV AIDS used to be about 30, 40 years ago, a scourge, a stigma in a society. And so there were pariahs, there were proverbs and bywords. But what I like about God, anybody who's willing to make a move, he doesn't care about your history, he doesn't care about the stigma on your life, he doesn't care that you don't have parents with a big name, he doesn't care that you don't got it going on like everybody else, he doesn't care that you are a pariah or a byword. If you're willing to make a move, he's going to use you in this shift. And here are these guys, trouble is going on on the inside, and they've decided uh, that we do not want to die. Help me and tell three or four people, send them a text, I refuse to die here. I refuse to collapse at the gate. I'm not going to go back, I'm not going to die here, but I'm going into my future. Paul told the church that it is with the mind that we serve God. Uh, that you have to use your mind if you are going to be like God's son. In fact, Paul tells us again, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be on the same level as God. Uh, this same Paul also taught us and told us, you have the mind of Christ if you are a believer. That means as Christ thought, you can think too. And because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means if you think like Christ, you will do like Christ. And if you do what Christ does, you will operate like him. You have a powerful mind. I believe it was the NAACP in America who said a mind is a powerful thing. Don't waste it. So here is man. When you look at all the other species, especially the predatorial species, they have power. The cheetah, it has a skeleton unlike any other feline that in two bounds from zero MPH, it can get to 62 MPH in less than two seconds. And when it pounces on its prey, the stealth of its swiftness completely takes its prey by surprise. How could I ever outrun a cheetah when it's chasing me? Or the lion? It has speed, but not like the cheetah. Its weapon is the power of its paw and the power of its jaw. When it slaps you with that paw, you're going down. How do I stand up against that? Yet God says he's made me higher than all the species of beings in the earth. Then there's a rhinoceros. You can't push it because it's heavier than anything you could push. You can't fight it because if it just uses its unicorn against you, you are finished. With a unicorn, it can bring down an Iroko tree. How do you stand against it when it comes after you? It has its weapon. Or the eagle, that with its big wheels or big wings, it can rise in minutes and go to heights that some airplanes can't get to. And it has the eye of an eagle so that it can see prey miles away at a long distance. And when it's ready, all she does is she tucks her wings into her tail talons and plummets like a rocket. 
and takes its prey by surprise and because the prey only has horizontal sight it can't see up taken by surprise it's lifted from its terra firma and a snake can only fight you when it's on the ground it can only slither if there's ground a lion can only fight the eagle if it has ground but when it's taken out of its own territory into the territory of the eagle the eagle will always win every time so how do I stand against an eagle when it comes against me or a lion when it fights me I'll tell you how you've got to know your weapon the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds to bringing into captivity every thought to cast down every stronghold to bring low every high thing what's he talking about he's talking about mental concepts psychological concepts your weapon may not be a paw or a jaw it may not be wings or a unicorn horn it might not be the speed of a cheetah but your weapon is your mind so when that lion comes against you if you try to fight him with your fist and your flight of foot he'll beat you every time but if you learn to use your mind you'll hide in a secret shelter and make a bow and an arrow and kill the lion with your arrow and if you practice it a little more you'll stop using bows and arrows and you'll start making machine guns and AK-47s and sleeper darts that you put in a gun that when it hits the lion it, it puts it to sleep immediately without killing it so you can study the lion and use things about the lion to make your Bugatti and when the cheetah chases you you never try to outrun him but you go and make a Bugatti motorcycle that will run faster than the cheetah can run and when the eagle threatens you with its lofty heights you decide hold it a minute the God that made the eagle fly is the God whose mind is the same as my mind I can make my own bird an Airbus 380 a Concorde a Falcon F-16 so I can fly too anything that we see in earth God has given us a mind to make it ourselves he is creator we are as creative he's given us all the elements to make what he made and we can make it on a higher not primitive level than what he made do you hear me what I'm saying you've got to use your mind and here are these four men God has handpicked them both as props that he will use once the prophet has triggered them by his prophetic voice they did not hear the prophecy but they came under the influence of the atmosphere into which the prophecy was spoken so angels were everywhere demons had left Samaria and the angels started to press on the heart on the decision-making faculties of those four men. Josephus tells us that those four men were Gehazi and his three sons. God was giving him a second chance if Josephus' meaning was correct. And here they are, they begin the processes of a decision. And they analyze and count their options. They say, what are our options? We're going to die if we stay here. What are our options? We can go back into the city where normally food stuff is, but there's no food stuff there. We keep seeing them bringing out dead bodies every day. And there are more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. So they say there's no point going in there. Death, death is in the city. They said if we sit here, option two, we will die also. They only have one more option. They say if we go to the Syrian camp, they might kill us. They might keep us alive. But we'll go and beg for mercy. Perhaps. It will keep us alive. They counted their options. You have to count your options. And after you've counted your options, you've got to analyze your options carefully. 
I'm sure there were detractors in the number. But when you are convinced of something, you also must be aware that you have a circle you operate in. There was a leader among those four. And I believe it was his voice that carried this way. And whilst they detracted from going to the enemy's camp and were willing to wait there to die, hoping for a miracle from a dead town, he pressed on them, is my belief, until they agreed with his decision. And look at what happened. They talked about it, and they talked about it. But they knew that time was a factor in destiny. They also had some inkling that foreknowledge was a factor in destiny. And when they were done talking, they were done talking. Please shout somebody. Look for about four or five people and tell them I'm done talking. If you come and tell me what you're getting ready to do, now, I don't want to listen to you. I want to see you do it. Stop telling me about you're getting married next year. Stop telling me about you're going to buy a car next month. Stop telling me you're going to build a house on Victoria. Just do it. Talk is cheap. Can I go a little further? And so here they are, they've made their decision and they decided to move towards the Syrian camp. And the moment they take their first step, the angels of the Lord are moved into operation. It's not written in the text, but we see the effect of their work based on Psalm 103 verse 20 and Hebrews 1:14. The Syrians are busy making dinner and about to eat their food and rest for the night. And everything that was coming to Samaria, they would block it and keep it. And the moment they took the move, something happened. The Syrians started to hear the noise of an army. They heard the noise of more than one army, two armies. And they started to speak to one another in the Syrian camp. Your enemy is going to have the fear of his life. And he will hear noises that you didn't even make. But because you made a move, God will make noise in your enemy's camp. Because you took action, God is going to create some commotion in your enemy's camp. Because you stopped talking and started doing, God is going to create some fury in the house of your enemy. They said, Kai, Samaria has hired that mighty nation, Egypt's army, and the other mighty nation, the Hittite's army, and they've come into a coalition and they're coming upon us. Can you not hear them? They say, I can hear, I can hear, can you not hear? I can hear. What was meant to go to Samaria, they were enjoying it in instantaneously, undressed, not in their proper clothing, they ran and fled. Proverbs 28 verse one, I believe it is. It says, the wicked flee when no man pursues but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And with every step the lepers took, God took hundreds of steps. Amen. For every 100 of their steps, one step of his is enough to rout the enemy. God set an ambush for them. He was just waiting for them to make the decision. He knew that the prophet would make first, and based on the prophets speaking, the atmosphere instigated them to take a move. So that by the time they got to the camp, the camp was completely empty of human beings. The first tent, jewelry, gold, trinkets, food everywhere. Horses and donkeys tied. You know, when you want to flee, normally you will have enough sense to jump on your horse or jump in your car and run. But when the fright is much, you can't think. Yet, yet the four lepers were thinking. They left everything behind. So, they saw and they started eating. They started, started trying on the gold trinkets and the jewelry, looking at themselves in the mirror, feeling cool about themselves. What they never had a chance to enjoy before, now they're enjoying it. And then one of them had a conscience moment. 
And he said, this thing we're doing is not good. How can God have provided such a great victory uh, and, and we don't tell it to our king? God knew how to speak to lepers. So they sent message back to Samaria. And I believe that it was because it maybe was Gehazi, the king paid attention to him. And when he heard the news about what had happened, he said, it must be an ambush. It's not true. It's not true. But he fortunately had some men around him who said, king, it's not an ambush. The Syrians are not trying to lure you and the, the Sumerians out of town so they can ambush you, no. But let's, let's send scouts. Put five, five people on horseback. Send them to go and check the area. And they went to the camp as it was said. They chased the Syrians all the way to the Jordan. They were leaving things behind because they, they wanted to be light in their flight. Garments, uh, valuables all along their way. That gathering up the spoil must have taken the Samaritans a long time. The years of restoration are soon upon us. But even though God is setting it up now, we will never have it unless we have leadership in the private sector and in the public sector who will know how to make the right decisions concerning our country and our continent and who will band together across the pan of Africa and speak with one voice for the betterment of her people, lest vast swaths of the 1.34 billion Africans that there are or will be uh, continue to live in penury and a poverty line of less than $2 a day. I've said my piece, and I want you to know it's time for you to make decisions. On the micro level of your personal life, those of you who lead labor, who lead vast constituencies or are leaders of thought, it's time for us to make real destiny decisions. Not just for our destiny, but our destiny will be included, but it's for the destiny of our continent, for the destiny of the children that are not yet born. It's time to make decisions.